This evening, we're beginning a new sermon series, God's Law, Gifts to Guide Us. In this series, we'll be working through the Ten Commandments and reflecting on how these commandments are God's gifts to us to guide us. For this evening, we'll be reading Exodus 20, verses 1 to 3, and then we'll read several verses from 1 Samuel chapter 4. Let's begin with Exodus 20, from verse 1 to verse 3. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And then we'll turn over to 1 Samuel 4, and I will read uh, part of verse 1 through verse 11. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel, and as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh, so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. When the ark of the Lord's covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A god has come into the camp, they said. We're in trouble. Nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us! Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the desert. Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. This is God's word for us this evening. I'm going to have four points in the sermon for tonight, and the first point is really an introduction to this whole series, and then we'll look at how we break the first commandment, how we keep the first commandment, and I'll end briefly with the case study, with one particular area in which we might especially struggle with keeping this first commandment. My first point for this sermon and this series is that God's laws are gifts to guard and guide us. God's laws are gifts to guide and guard us. And we're setting a trajectory for the whole series with this point. And in fact, I think this is a point that the Lord sets as a trajectory for the Ten Commandments with how he introduces them in Exodus chapter 20. I don't know how often we notice this at the beginning, but God doesn't just jump into the commandments. He begins by saying, I am the Lord your God who delivered you from Egypt. So before he gets into the commandments, the Lord speaks of, he speaks of the relationship. He says, I am the Lord your God, and these commandments are meant to guide you closer to me. And he also talks about how he's guarded the Israelites, how he kept them safe, how he delivered them from Egypt and made them his people. So let's, let's fill that out a little bit more tonight. First, God's law guards us from evil. 
When I was growing up, we lived on a fairly busy street, so we had a lot of cars and a lot of foot traffic that went by. So we had a fenced yard, and we also, for a number of years, had a guard dog. He was a Dalmatian named Chief, and he wasn't, he wasn't particularly aggressive, but he was very, very protective. And one particular day, a kind of strange guy came wandering by, and this was in the day of the door-to-door salesman coming by all the time, so it wasn't that unusual, but he just had a weird vibe to him. And my mom and my brothers and I were all playing outside, and he started leaning on the gate and just kind of being a little intrusive. And my mom's body language was kind of like, we're done, back off. And she kept saying, we're not interested. We're, we're not interested. We're not interested. And he kept talking and kind of was leaning more and more and more. And then at some point, Chief, our dog, came up to investigate and sort of started sniffing around and seeing what was going on. And the guy leaned over a little bit more and said, oh, what a wonderful dog. And he reached his hand over to give Chief a nice condescending pat on the head. And at this point, Chief has read the situation. He's analyzed that we're all a little uncomfortable, that there's this person coming into his space who has received the label of intruder in his mind. And so he acts as a good guard dog. And as the guy leans over the fence to give him a nice pat, Chief gives him a nice bite. Not really hard, but hard enough to say, you don't belong here, and long enough to say, there's more where this came from. And the guy jumps back when Chief lets go and says, your dog bit me. And mom says, yeah, he does that to people who bother us. Goodbye. And the guy sort of stands for a second and then walks away. The law, God's law is a fence and a guard for us. It keeps us where we're safe. It keeps us out of danger zones. It alerts us to things that aren't quite right. And in some ways, it keeps evil at a distance. God's law guards us. It's a fence that shows us where to go and not go. It keeps us safe. And the law also guides us. The law shows us how to live with the Lord. In a sermon on Exodus 20, Tim Keller once said, the, the Ten Commandments are romantic. They're romantic. I'd never heard that before, but here's the idea. When you're deeply in love with someone, when you're, when you're in a serious relationship, whether you're engaged or married or whatever, you want to please the other person. You want to do things that make them happy. You want to do things that enhance the relationship, that help you to go, to go deeper in who you are together. And the Ten Commandments are, are a set of instructions from God about how we can grow in our relationship with Him. These are instructions about how we can live more closely in line with, with the kind of life that God wants us to live and how we can be more the type of people that He is. How we can be more like Him and His righteousness and His holiness. These these laws are instructions about how we can please someone who loves us more than life itself. God's laws, God's laws are guides for how we can live with him. God's laws are gifts to guide and guard us. And with that as background, let's think about the first commandment together tonight. And the first commandment, as we read in Exodus 20, is you shall have no other gods before me. And we'll start by thinking about that with the point, and this is our second point for tonight, that our schemes don't give us control of God. 
Our schemes don't give us control of God. In the first Samuel 4 passage that we read for tonight, a war starts. And the text isn't clear if the Philistines were the aggressors or the Israelites were, but a war starts. And Israel, this first battle that we read about in 1 Samuel 4, Israel loses. They get chased off the battlefield. They lose a lot of soldiers. And they go home, and they think about what went wrong. They wonder why they're defeated. And then they have this brilliant idea to go and get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it along with them for the next battle. Now, notice what they're doing here. They aren't going to the Ark of the Covenant. And the ark was the the site of God's presence, so to speak. It was symbolic of God being with his people. It It was where the Israelites thought of God as dwelling with them. And these people aren't going to the ark. They aren't going to the Lord. They're bringing the Lord to them. They're not asking, is this war in line with God's will? Are we doing what God wants? They're saying, let's draft God into our army. Let's bring God here and have him help us with our battles. So they drag the ark out of where it's supposed to be, and they bring it, they bring it along with them. And basically, as one commentator puts it, they're treating the ark of the covenant like it's a magic wand, like they can bring this thing out, they can kind of wave it around, and they can be guaranteed a victory. Or to put it another way, they're treating the Ark of the Covenant. They're treating this symbol of God's presence in their midst like an idol. If they make the right arrangements, if they bring this thing along with them, then their schemes will have success. And when the Ark comes, the Israelites get all excited. They give their battle cries, and they yell, and they jump around. And and the Philistines tremble in fear when they hear that. Because they know what the Lord God has done to other people, and they are really afraid. They feel like they can't possibly beat this God or these gods. The, Israel, the Philistines were a pretty pluralistic people when it came to God. But they don't, how, how can we beat this person, they ask. But they work each other up. They say, come on, guys, let's fight. Let's fight and fight and fight, because otherwise we're going to be slaves. And then the Philistines go out, and they defeat the Israelites. And they defeat them completely. The Israelites lose tens of thousands of soldiers, and they all run home, and the Ark of the Covenant is captured, and the priests are killed, and Israel is totally defeated. And the way verse 10 reads, it doesn't actually say the Philistines defeated the Israelites. It says the Israelites were defeated. And often, especially in the Old Testament, when things are put in the passive voice that something happened to them, that the Israelites were defeated, we're supposed to hear an echo at the end of that that says, by God. The Israelites weren't defeated by the Philistines, they were defeated by God. The Israelites thought they could get God involved in their schemes and get control over him and get what they wanted, and the Lord defeats them. The Lord breaks that idea that their schemes can get them control of God. We talked about this passage in our Friday morning men's Bible study a few weeks ago, and we brought up a few more contemporary examples of ways that people have tried to get God under control. A lot of Nazi soldiers on their belt buckle, they had this phrase that you've translated to English. It says, God with us. 
And the Nazi regime claimed that they had, they had God's warrant. They were on God's side. They were doing what God wanted. Closer to home, after 9-11, there were a lot of people in church for, for a while. And a lot of churches did a lot of singing of God bless America. And there was, there was this, this sense that, that somehow we needed God. And I don't doubt that God used that time very powerfully in many people's lives. But looking back, we can ask whether people were really interested in the Lord or whether they were really just interested in some power to make them feel more safe. Now, if we think about any number of prosperity preachers these days, they tell us if you name it and claim it, God will give you whatever you want. If your faith or your donations or your whatever are big enough, God will do what you want. And we can go on and on with examples like this, right? We had a couple, other in the Bible, a couple others in the Bible study too. We try to manipulate God in so many ways. And the first commandment tells us not to do that. Usually when we read the first commandment, we read it as a warning against making or worshiping idols. And that is the point. Don't make other gods. But as a subset of that, this commandment tells us not to make the true Lord God into an idol. Part of the first command is that we don't treat our Lord as if he's some minor God that we can control. Our schemes will never give us control of the true Lord. And so when we approach God, when we approach the Lord, it's helpful for us to ask this question. Do we want to serve the Lord, or do we want the Lord to serve us? Are we looking for a God to serve, or are we looking for a God who will serve us? And with that question, we'll move to our third point for tonight. And our third point is that God's presence, God himself, is the greatest gift of all. We will never find anything better, more valuable, more worthwhile than simply being in God's presence. In 1 Samuel 4, the Israelites don't get that. What they want, what they really want is victory in their next battle. That's their great goal. And they've totally lost this sense of the value of God's presence in their midst. That initial defeat in the first battle that we read about, it should have led them to repentance and worship. Their defeat should have led them to ask, what are we doing that is leading us into disobedience to God? Instead of, asking, instead of them asking, how can we get God in line with our schemes? Next week, we're going to read 1 Samuel 7, and we'll see how the Israelites actually respond correctly, how they do what they should do in light of defeat. But for this week, for this week, the Israelites just aren't getting it. For this week, the Israelites are trying to get God in control. And we, we often try to do that too. We often lose sight of the value of God's presence in our lives. And I think one way that we can remind ourselves, one way that we can help ourselves hold on to the first commandment is to really pay attention to Jesus. Jesus brought 
God's presence to us. Jesus is the picture for us of what it looks like for God to dwell with his people. And we need that. We need a mediator. We need someone who can show God to us in a way that helps us stay focused on the Lord. Jesus comes to us as God himself, and he reminds us, and the whole of the Bible reminds us, and the Holy Spirit working in our hearts reminds us that God's presence is the greatest gift of all. Long, long ago, an early church leader named Augustine made a distinction between enjoying things and using things. There are some things that we enjoy. They're the most valuable things in our lives. They're the things that we build our lives around. And then there are other things that we use. Things that we use to help us enjoy other things. We probably all know someone who's really into cars or pick your example, computers, blenders, old coasters, whatever. Everyone has something they really enjoy, right? But we're going to talk about cars. We all know people who are really into cars, and they have one or two or three or a dozen cars that they just love. They lavish their time and money on them. They always keep them in perfect condition. Every time they drive one of those vehicles, it's a thrill. They enjoy their cars. And then there's others of us who we use our cars, We need a vehicle to get us from point A to point B, and it's a bonus if nothing falls off on the way. And we expect very little past that. We use our cars. It's just a tool. When we enjoy something, we hold on to it for its own sake. When we use something, we use it to get us other things. Now, Augustine, after making that distinction, he gives this example. Suppose that we've been exiled to a foreign land. We're far, far from home, and our only real hope of happiness is getting back home. And then we come into possession of some, in the rather clumsy translation I read, some land or sea vehicles. We come into possession of something that can bring us back home, back to the only place that we can be happy. So we get in our carriage, we get in our boat, and we head for home, But on the way, we realize that we're enjoying the journey. We realize that we really like life on the road or life on the water. And so so instead of focusing on getting back to our homeland, we get all caught up on the journey. We get excited about things that we have, things that we find along the way. And in some ways, we decide we'd rather keep traveling than get to our home country. Now, in Augustine's parable, he says, the Lord... Life with the Lord is our home country. That's the only place we can really be happy. Really being with the Lord is the only way for us to live a truly fulfilled life. But there are all kinds of other things that are great. All kinds of other things along the way that can get us distracted. We should enjoy the Lord and use other things to draw us closer to Him. But too often we enjoy other things and not not focus on the Lord. So here's the question for us. When we come to God, are we trying to use Him or are we trying to enjoy Him? 
When we come to God, are we using God so that we can get to other things that we want? Are we using God so that we can get other good things, whatever gifts they might be? Or do we come to the Lord and see Him as the greatest good? Do we come to the Lord and just want to be in His presence because we recognize that there's nothing better? Do we approach the Lord like He's a businessman that we have to cut a deal with to get what we want? Or do we approach the Lord like He's a beloved family member who we want to spend our whole lives with? The Lord is He is the greatest good in all existence. Do we live like that? Do we? I'm going to close tonight with one particular area in which we often struggle with this command. I actually got this this little question from a book by Paul David Tripp. We're going to ask the question, what do we fear? What do we really fear? Like the Israelites with the Philistines, we fear a lot of things in this life. And with good reason. Life is dangerous and unpredictable. Our health is uncertain and fickle. Our families are vulnerable and often troubled. We live in a fallen world. We have good reason to be afraid. And we're often driven by fear. And in fact, our fear often forms how we approach the Lord. We often come to the Lord out of fear, and we want to use Him to help us get other things that help us feel safe. And certainly we should bring our fears, we should bring our concerns, we should bring our worries to the Lord. But the way that we overcome fear is not by using God to take our fears away. God does not always keep us safe from troubles in this life. We often do lose things that we really value. God doesn't protect us from all trouble. Christians suffer just like everyone else in this world, and maybe we even suffer more because we follow Christ. And using God to get rid of our fears but it doesn't always work. Because if we come to God and we say, I'm going to follow you so that, so that I am safe, so that my family is safe, so that I am comfortable, so that I have the life I want, that's not the deal God gives us. And if we come to God trying to use him like that, we will be disappointed. But if we fear the Lord, if we are in awe of the Lord, If the Lord is the greatest good in our life, that can really deliver us from other fears. Because you see, if we really fear the Lord, if we, and I'm using fear in a different sense here, right? But if we really devote our whole lives to the Lord, if the Lord is the greatest thing we have, if we stand in awe of how great He is, then and only then can we really be free from other fears. Because... Because if we really make God the goal of our living, then we are always safe. The Lord doesn't keep us from troubles, but the Lord does always keep us in His presence. And if we belong to Jesus, if we belong to Jesus and He is the greatest good in our lives, then even death itself 
can only give us more of what we value. If Jesus is really the greatest good in our lives, if being in God's presence is really our ultimate value, then the worst thing in this life, then death itself just brings us more into God's presence. If God is our greatest good, then we always have the greatest gift of all. Now, having said all that, I have not arrived at that point. To be honest with you, when I, when I talk like what I just said, I'm describing this distant and far-off country that I have only glimpsed a little bit in my best of moments. I still fear way too many things. I am scared of many things in this world, just like all of us are. But maybe tonight we can imagine a world where we are so deeply rooted in the Lord that we are always safe. Maybe we can imagine a life where we come to the Lord completely willing and able to serve Him in all things. Maybe we can catch just a glimpse of the kind of life we could have if God's presence was really the greatest good we pursue. Imagine if we had such deep faith in the Lord that we didn't need to be afraid of anything else anymore. Imagine what a life like that would really be like. Now we can't get there on our own. There is no amount of willpower that we can generate or white-knuckled determination that we can come up with that can, that can get us there. But in Jesus, God comes to us. Through the Holy Spirit, the Lord is at work in us, drawing us into His presence. The Lord is at work in us, His people, to bring us to that place to bring us to his kingdom where we will have the Lord with us forever, where he will be all in all, where he will really be everything to us, where we will be safe in him forever. We only catch glimpses of that kingdom these days. At our best, our God's presence is only our ultimate priority in fleeting moments, but that is the life that God has promised his people. And that is the life that he is at work in each of us to bring us to someday. Someday. And may that hope renew us and strengthen us even today. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your commands and yet so often they're hard. It is so hard for us to lay down our fear. It is so hard for us to turn away from other things and to really hold on to you. And Lord, even when we try to do that, so often we're just using you to get what we want instead of making you our greatest good. Father, please forgive us for the ways that we break the first commandment in all your commands. We thank you for your forgiveness. And we thank you, too, that you work through your law, through your spirit, to transform us so that we can live the kind of life that these commandments describe. Father, we pray that you keep us from having any other gods or idols. Keep us from treating you like a God who we can control. But bring us more and more deeply into your presence 
as the Lord our God, as the Lord who delivers us, as the Lord who gives us eternal life with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. In response to God's word, we'll together sing, Now Thank We All Our God, and as the music begins, we'll stand to sing.